the color of the sky in the background of the person there. There is something about it that was bringing like a calm, like a complex calm. I don't know how to explain it. Welcome to Art is Human Nature, a podcast where art meets the expert, a podcast where I, the artist, speak with people who know a lot about the ideas I try to capture in my work. I'm your host, Alexander Robinson. For part two of Tetris slash self-care, the expert is going to be Nicole Franklin, who is a registered social worker and psychotherapist with over 10 years of experience counseling individuals and families. With her extensive experience and thorough knowledge, in 2016, Nicole opened up her very own private practice called Live Free Counseling Services. How are you doing, Nicole? I'm doing pretty good. How about yourself? Doing good. I'm doing good. I just want to say thank you for being a part of this whole project. Really appreciate it. Yes, I'm excited to be a part of it. So thank you for having me. So to have our listeners learn a little bit more about you, the first thing I want to ask is how did you get into the field of social work? I really do think that like helping people comes as like second nature for me. It's always kind of been a part of not just what I do, but who I am. My mom, she's a volunteer coordinator for lots of like nonprofit organizations. So she often had me like from a young age involved in like community outreach work, doing a lot of like hands-on community involvement type of activities. I do feel like that really inspired me to want to continue that work into my adulthood. And so when I got into high school, we had actually moved to a pretty white area out in Kingston. And during that time, I experienced quite a lot of racism in school, especially by staff and teachers. And I would get like, you know, high grades and things of this nature. They would always try to stream me to college or to community programs, tell me I should take applied courses. And all of this led me to kind of wanting to work in schools, work in the community, change some of these systemic forms of oppression for young Black people. And ultimately, I think that was like, the push I needed to say no like the system needs like change makers and I want to be a part of that and so following high school a lot of people didn't really know what they wanted to do and I always just had my mind on like no I want to take social work I want to be a part of the changes that need to happen within the system and that kind of brings me to where we are today with ultimately still feeling like despite being in this wellness space there just wasn't enough social workers and therapists that look like me. And so, you know, I decided to become one of those like therapists and counselors and then also support other up and coming therapists through our like mentorship programs and things like that who are finding it very difficult to find a mentor that looks like them. So it's very important to me, not only that I can kind of be a part of the change that's happening in the community, but to be able to support those coming behind me as well. Right. I think that's like very noble, you know, like even you know, the idea of wanting to be a part of that change. It's really cool. I really respect that. I want to ask you, so you kind of got into it in terms of like your schooling and where you grew up, but once you finally got into this practice and you were like a practicing social worker, did you face any resistance or anything like that? Because 
I'm sure you know even way better than I do. But to my knowledge, I know this is kind of a field that as of right now is predominantly white. So entering this field, you know, as not just like a black person, but a black woman, you know, did you face any sort of resistance? Was there any any sort of difficulties in that? Definitely. I would say that like, just like many of the people, uh, especially the black women that I work with, a lot of the day to day oppression and racism that we face is in workspaces. And you know, they call it microaggressions, but there's nothing really micro about the impacts of racism. And this work is hard already. You're holding space for a bunch of people who have experienced all these different forms of trauma and violence and issues while still also trying to navigate how you yourself as a black woman can take care of yourself while taking care of everyone else, right? So at the end of the day, one of the hardest things is sitting in rooms, being one of the only black people with everyone expecting you to have all the answers to your whole community's issues. And when you go to work every day and you show up just wanting to help people, but those people around you are not necessarily willing to do the work to be a part of that change, you start to wonder, you know, like shoots, being within the system and seeing how much work there really is to do in this system that I'm trying to change can be quite of a conflict, right? Like within yourself of will things really change? Like, how do I sustain my hope and my joy and my black excellence in these spaces that are also kind of like stifling my creativity and my ability to help others when I can't really care for myself in these toxic environments? Right. So, you know, a lot of what I've learned to do over the years to manage this resistance or challenge is everyday acts of resistance. And how I understand it and how I kind of utilize this tool is thinking about the ways that I can, from within the system, make small little changes to be able to support my community that I know needs it from the inside. So that, for example, might be going to my boss and asking for a special exception to be able to give this family who's struggling rather than calling CAS, maybe they just need financial support and I can refer them to this program and provide grocery gift cards. Right. Rather than tell this student that they should be suspended or expelled, explain to all the people sitting at the table all the challenges that that child has faced in their life and that, you know, they really do deserve just as much of a second chance as Johnny. We need change makers on the ground. We need change makers in the streets, but we also need change makers within that system, slowly working on like poking and changing it. And that's hopefully what I can provide while also learning this year the importance of taking care of myself in the process, knowing when to stop, knowing when to take breaks, knowing when to ask to leave a room, knowing when I have to actually leave a job because it's become so uh, toxic. And then live free is really my like love letter to the fact that we need our own space to be able to heal and to not have to fit into these boxes that really weren't designed for us. So Live Free really was born out of feeling like a lot of the spaces that I was in weren't meeting my needs or the people that I'm working with's needs. And that's kind of how that came to be. 
touched on a couple of things. I think for starters, the system itself has a lot of issues. And like you said, individuals like yourself from the inside are doing their work to dismantle that system and bring about change from within. So I think, you know, you have like this system, you know, that's very dated and for a long time it's been very predominantly white that needs change. And then you also have the fact that when it comes to therapy and and wellness and mental health, a lot of the things that affect our mental health are experiences that are unique to black people. So I think that's another thing like and that plays into, I think, why it's so important to have, you know, again, like people like yourself in these spaces, because I think for me or anyone else that's going and trying to get help, they can feel like, oh, this person won't understand me. You know, they won't get where I'm coming from. They won't really know the kind of help I need. But I really want to touch on this one thing. And I'm sure like you have like a strong understanding of this, but I feel like for a long time and maybe it's slightly changing now, but I feel like for a long time in the black community, there's been this apprehension to getting help, you know, and going to therapy. And I feel like there's been this stigma that I think one, we can solve our problems on our own kind of thing. And I think the other thing, there's this notion that therapy is something for white people. You know, it's a luxury and it's something that isn't for us. So I was wondering if you could speak to that, you know, that stigma and how people have been like working to change that. I think that's a really important topic. And while I think it's changing, I also feel like both are true. The system can be slowly changing and there can also at the same time be a lot of work that needs to happen. And when you speak to that stigma, I don't think we can ignore it. But I also believe that we first have to look at the history of our people interacting with some of these oppressive systems like the mental health system, like the medical system. And talk therapy is not for everyone, but there's so many different kinds of therapy which isn't talked about. Art therapy, music therapy, all these different kinds of like traditional healing methods all over the world that are being utilized that because of like the Western model of looking at mental health and uh, medicine, these things are not talked about enough. And to be honest, they're not celebrated enough, especially in our learning institutions, right? So those things also need to change, like how we look at healing, you know, a lot of these tools that we utilize are not going to fit for those that we work with. We're often tweaking them, changing them. Just because they're evidence-based doesn't mean that they're going to work for everybody. I honestly think social media has been a big part of destigmatizing and decolonializing mental health spaces, giving us these important messages like it's okay to rest, do you know what brings you joy, anxiety and depression can stem from different forms of trauma, including racial trauma. This access to more information I definitely think is, and like this collectivism is definitely, um, I think, helping people speak out about their experiences and then making it slowly okay for us to ask for help and knowing that you're not the only one that's doing that. I definitely think there's a lot of these like messages that have been passed down about that stigma around mental health, like what happens in the home stays in the home, pray it away, you know, these type of messages. But what we haven't realized is that now that we know better, we really have to do better and pass on different messages to the next generation that say like, it's okay to not
not be okay. It's okay to ask for help. Rest is a form of an important part of the revolution. Black joy is just as important as the traumas that we experience. And then those images also being more present in like media in general, movies, uh, music. So I do think that some of that media and social media included have supported in changing the narrative. And then the other piece, the last piece here is about access. Not only do we need access to more culturally relevant programming that is like anti-racist and anti-colonial, we also need access to have the option to have counselors that look like us who understand what we've been going through. So those are some of the pieces that connect with what you're speaking to there. No, definitely. You really touched on why it's important to have social workers that look like us. And from my understanding, I know you, in fact, have a program where you've been mentoring and helping young, aspiring Black social workers to, you know, like fill that space with more people that look like us. So I was wondering if you could kind of touch a little bit on that and speak to um, the Black Mental Health Fund. Thank you so much for bringing that up. Yeah, so I just felt compelled to go harder for our community. And one of the the ways that I thought I could offer support was so many people were talking about like being ready and open to receiving support, but not knowing where to go. And also, as you mentioned, like struggling with the access, like struggling with being able to afford counseling and therapy. And I think what we know is that a lot of the counseling that was and therapy that was available for free typically cut off at like an early age or wasn't necessarily culturally relevant programming and was also quite brief. So our response was to develop a Black mental health fund where we could raise money to provide counseling services at free or low cost to the Black community. And so uh, that fund is still ongoing. If you go to our Instagram at LiveFreeCS, we have all the information up there where people can donate to our GoFundMe for the fund. And then what we also did to kind of just be able to raise a bit more funds was we created our self-care TO brand and we have our self-care Toronto shop, which is also through our Instagram and all of the money raised goes directly to our Black Mental Health Fund as well. The last tier of our program is being able to provide mentorship programs for Black therapists coming up and for them to be able to set up a practice, strengthen their practice, and connect people in the community to those therapists. It's a very clear, direct line. You donate and it goes right to these projects, nothing else. So for anyone listening right now, I'm going to be including, you know, all the links to this program. So, you know, if anyone listening is interested in supporting this cause, definitely make sure you do that because, you know, it sounds like you guys are doing some really great things. So I'm very excited to hear what you think of the artwork for this episode. This piece that we're going to get into is titled Tetris. And pretty much this is going to be your first time seeing this piece, which is going to be pretty cool. If you'd like to see the artwork we're about to discuss, you'll find a link in the episode notes, or you can visit artbyrobinson.com slash art is human nature. I repeat, if you'd like to follow along and see the artwork we're about to discuss, you'll find a link in the episode notes, or you can visit artbyrobinson.com. 
com slash art is human nature. All right, let's get back to the episode. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to share my screen. I'm going to pull up the piece and yeah, we'll get into it. So this is the piece. The piece is titled Tetris slash self-care. And, you know, looking at this piece, I guess the first thing I'd like to ask is, how does it make you feel? I see hope in here. One of the other feelings that's coming up for me is growth, change. I feel like often we're resistant to like growth and change because it feels different and new. But we were actually just talking about in one of our mentorship groups last night that, you know, there's also a discomfort and a need to dance with that discomfort to be able to like birth new ideas and new chapters. So there's something about that, this piece that's also reminding me of that conversation as well. A big thing with this piece is, and I think this is just like, I guess like me being an artist and like I make weird connections <laughs> with things, but I was playing Tetris, like the game and just like my kind of like, you know, like weird creative mind was just like, uh, this, this makes me think of self-care and wellness, you know? And I started thinking about that more because like in Tetris, I feel like you, you get like these blocks kind of like come like out of nowhere and they start filling up the screen and your job is to kind of, you know, help them fit together. So that made me think of, you know, my own approach to self-care. And it's like these random elements in your life can kind of pop in out of nowhere. Something can happen that makes you feel depressed. But then maybe you're a parent and, you know, maybe you still need to find a way to be there for your kids. And it's like, you know, these are all different like blocks. And it's like, okay, how do I fit these things together? Well, maybe if I use this other block, and I use that as a form of therapy to help me with my depression. You know, I put those blocks together. Maybe they cancel each other out. And maybe that gives me more space to deal with life and that sort of stuff. And even the notion of these things piling up when you play Tetris, things just start like filling up too fast and you're not able to like, you know, space them together. You get overwhelmed, you know, and you run out of space to see things and to manage things. And Tetris, I guess it's like game over. But in real life, I guess it's like that can possibly be like a mental health crisis. And I kind of have these like letters spread throughout the piece. Everybody's game of Tetris that they're playing looks different and is unique to that person. But I guess the last thing I want to ask you in regards to this piece, you know, looking at some of these letters, what are some words that kind of like pop in your head? While I kept looking at them, like, and I knew they were there, there's a part of me that wanted to ignore them. And I don't know why that is, but as we're kind of like talking and really kind of looking back on this piece, I guess what I'm actually thinking is like, in my life, I often try to, I don't want to say like ignore that barriers exist, but I, I really don't want them to stop me. And like what I want to achieve, not just for like myself, but like the people around me, I see like a bigger picture beyond the barriers. And so me, myself, while I see them, I know they're there. I honestly like was for some reason like avoiding them and avoiding giving them too much like power. And interestingly enough, it's really hard for me to like give them the value to put them together into words. That's really interesting. For anyone listening, 
what are um, just like a few things that you recommend or, you know, things people can try if people want to start really focusing on self-care? Those are the conversations that I know I'm for sure trying to have about like what self-care really means for us. For example, one, finding a safe space or a safe community, whether that be a one-on-one therapist, attending a workshop online, having a small group of like friends who get you, who understand that um, these conversations about mental health are important and you feel comfortable enough to like sit, argue, cry, be messy, like have someone correct you, have someone challenge your thought or your idea. These complex safe spaces are things that black people we need for our self-care safe spaces to be authentically to show up authentically but that's not easy like that's not actually like an easy thing to like find and it's not actually like an easy thing for some of us activists out there to create because holding space for a group of people to cry, to share their stories of trauma, to unravel is actually healing, but also like heavy, right? These are complicated concepts. Another one would be leave that job where I'm starting to see that it's actually compromising my mental health. So being okay to walk away from jobs, people, relationships, spaces where I am not able to be myself and changing from different faces in different places to try to fit in or make white people feel comfortable. I've allowed myself and given myself permission to walk away from those spaces. And it's not without its risks, right? And not everybody can afford to just leave a job because they're experiencing racism, right? Like we have bills to pay, things like this. I think allowing ourselves like the acceptance to just feel whatever's coming through for us and validating even our own feelings and experiences. It's super important that self-care is not just like one linear list. And also having lots of things at our disposal from the journaling, taking the breaks, taking the breath, finding rest saying no, asking for what you need. All of those things are an important part of a whole toolkit of things that we're gonna need at our disposal because on Monday, one of those things can be super effective. But by Friday, I don't have the energy to move through that list the way I did on Monday. And I have to be okay with that. That not getting out of bed that day, just being able to wash my face is like enough. So having lots of different things in my toolkit around what self-care is going to look like for me is the most important. I think having a really large list is actually like essential to your self-care and knowing that everyone's like self-care list is going to look different at different times and that you constantly has to have to revisit it and change your toolkit to make sure that it's going to be effective. Therapy is obviously one of like the big ones that I, you know, strongly encourage everybody to try. But knowing too that if you don't find a therapist that fits, that sometimes you actually do, just like with a lot of other things, have to try another one. Call around to different therapists and have conversations before you actually find one that's a good fit for you. And it's the same with trying on all of these self-care tools, seeing what works, getting rid of what doesn't, 
you know, if deep breathing doesn't work for you, if yoga doesn't work for you, that's okay, right? Like maybe your outlet is and your self-care is taking the day off to do art or walk in nature or lay in bed and watch Netflix or, you know, all of the above. So just knowing that whatever you choose and whatever plan you go with, like that that's that's okay. I really love the idea that, you know, self-care doesn't need to have this like rigid definition and you know the idea that it it can look different for everybody I think that's really important so I'm very glad you said that and I just I just want to say when I first came across you I was so excited and so happy to find you know like a person that looks like me in these spaces all these sorts of things and the idea that like you know black people have to put on these different faces. You know, when we enter a room, we have to, um, you know, adjust who we are. All these sorts of things are just very exhausting. You know, like I had this very rigid idea of what getting help looked like and what self-care looked like and what therapy looked like. You know, during those times, I never came across someone like yourself. So seeing someone like you, it makes me really happy because I know, um, you know, right now, even there's probably, you know, some black kids or, you know, some young black adults who are going through things and having people like you in these spaces, I know it's going to help them in so many ways. And that's a big reason why I told myself, um, I need to get you on this show. You know, I need people to hear these things because a lot of these things are things I wish I heard. You know, self-care is not just about us. I really do feel like when we dive into the depths of self-care, we're really also talking about for people of color and for black people, we're talking about community care as well. So there's this component that by taking care of yourself and by like, you know, doing what I love and what I'm passionate about and sharing what's worked for me that I can also like support with somebody else's self-care journey. And that part of my self-care is actually taking care of my community and, you know, marching in the streets to trying to change the system to, you know, all of that to me is a part and an element, an important element of my self-care. So to kind of hear you speak to kind of some of those impacts, it's really kind of powerful for me because it kind of shows that some of the work that I'm trying to do is is really like translating into what I hope for like my community as well. So thank you so much for sharing that. And I think it just affirms I'm for sure somebody who's like, you know, it's just not enough. I'm never doing enough. But, you know, it's never good enough. And so you hear someone else say like, I see you, you know, I, I see what you're doing. I hear you. It's like nice to feel seen and heard and know that work is having an impact. So thank you. We kind of spoke about the Black Mental Health Fund and the things that you're doing with that, how people can support and help with that. Before we wrap up, is there anything that you'd like to say or share with the listeners or just leave them off with? I'm going to share a little kind of like thing that we talk about in our mentorship group, which is people often see like on TV, like what therapy looks like. 
and they say, oh, like that looks like something that I don't really want to have any part of. Like they see two people sitting across from each other or even one laying down and the therapist is just writing and looking at them and analyzing them and from afar and being like, hmm, that's interesting. Tell me more about that. And I just want to throw out there that something that we often talk about in therapy with like by black people for black people is that in therapy, like we cry, yes, but we also laugh together and we also talk about food together and some people are walking down their neighborhood while talking to me about what happened in their life this week sometimes in my daytime job in schools we're actually talking about life while playing basketball so i just want to throw out there that when we're talking about decolonizing therapy when we're talking about like destigmatizing like what therapy means i just really want people to know that it doesn't always look like what you're seeing on tv and that when you are coming to one of these black therapists who are really trying to bust out of that square that's been created for us that there's all these different feelings there's all these different ways that we have created what therapy kind of looks like for our clients and providing what we never got that we wish we had as you said and that allows for all of these beautiful things to come out of that therapeutic process that like would have never been brought to the surface if we hadn't changed the game so i just want people to know that not only is asking for help and like the idea the narrative of like going to therapy changed also what's happening in the actual therapy room with your therapist is shifting and changing and we're pushing for those things to look different as well. Out of that comes like the possibilities of healing really shifting and changing as well. So I just want to throw that out there because I do think that that's something really important to share about our work. I think that's that's a great note to leave on. Again, I just want to say thank you, Nicole. You know, it really means a lot having you here and speaking with you about all these things. Thank you so much for having me. This concludes Art is Human Nature. To see the artwork for this episode, visit artbyrobinson.com slash artishumannature. Until next time.